Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Passionate Stewardship Podcast, a podcast for helping professionals who strongly believe in supporting their community and the humans who live there. I am your host, Dr. Sherry. It's another month, and we got through Black History Month, and I appreciate everyone for your feedback and for listening to all the episodes. I truly hope you got something out of all of the information that we put out in February. I hope you picked you up some really good reads because we gave some really good book recommendations for the month of February. So I hope you got something out of the month. Here on the podcast, we will continue to edify Black and African Americans throughout. So stay tuned. This month is March and it is Women's History Month. It is also National Social Work Month. So this month on the podcast, it's all about the ladies, ladies, more ladies, and the women's, women's, women's. And so this month on the podcast, we will be interviewing some extraordinary women. I mean, you're going to hear from some of the most extraordinary women who are doing some really great work in their communities and also in the lives of others. So I have made an executive decision on the podcast this month that I wanted to have one of those extraordinary women join me for the entire month of March and be my co-host. So This beautiful young woman that I am getting ready to introduce to all of you, she is truly my ride or die. This young woman, she keeps me on task in business, (laughs) but more importantly, she is my best friend of over 15 years. I mean, she has seen me at my lowest of lows. She has also seen me at my highest of highs. She was my maid of honor. I am her daughter's godmother, my sweet Jimmy Rose. She is just everything to me. So I would love to welcome to the Passionate Stewardship Podcast for Women's History Month, my co-host, human resources extraordinaire, and my best friend, Brittany. Hey, girl. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, best friend. (laughs) (laughs) So how does it feel to be on this end this time? Um, it feels weird. Weird? Why weird? <laughs> a good weird because, I mean, our banter is hilarious, but to let other people hear our banter <laughs> is going to be hilarious even more. <laughs> so, you know, I'm all about having women around me that are, that feed into my life. I want to feed into their life, and but I also want them to feed into my life. So I wanted to ensure that people who are in my life, they serve a purpose. And all of my girlfriends serve purposes in my life. I mean, I am one of those persons that, don't get me wrong, I love my blood family, those who I do have relationships with. But a lot of my family is chosen family. And Brittany happens to be one of those persons that is chosen family. So Brittany does a lot of the behind the scenes stuff for me. And so she witnesses all of the podcast episodes. Like she hears all of the ideas before they become anything. So if you are enjoying a lot of the social media stuff, like that's Brittany. If you are enjoying some of the content and the the contents of the content, like a lot of that is Brittany and I, we do that stuff together. But Brittany is also in human services, but she's just on the HR side of human <laughs> services. So I'm about to get all in your business, yeah, yeah. best friend. <laughs> <laughs> so best friend. Yes, ma'am. You're on the HR side of human services, but you're still in human services nonetheless. What was your intro into human services and what made you choose human services as that track for your life? So I have been involved in human services since I can remember my grandmother. Hey, Grandma Betty, a.k.a. BB. Miss Betty is the bomb, by the way. Like, she (laughs) is a pistol. Yeah, she is. (laughs) She started a couple of nonprofits in the Bay Area of California, Bay Area Women Against Rape. And so we used to always go on protests 
And me and my cousin used to always go to all the organizations that she worked for and do admin stuff. So we would stuff envelopes and hand out flyers and just to see and engage with people that have been affected by traumas and just horrible things in their lives. And so nonprofit, the human services sector has always been important to me. And so I just figured that at some point when I became a big girl (laughs) and finished school, that that is something that was most likely going to be the area that I would try to stick to. So you decided on the HR side. What was it about the HR side, because, you know, when you're talking about human services, and this is for anybody that might be listening and trying to discern, okay, I know I want to do social work, and I know I want to do human services work, but I'm not sure, like, what area of the work that I want to do. Like, social work has so many levels to it. Human services work has so many levels to it. If you recall back on one of our earlier episodes, we talked about like for social work, you have the micro, macro and the meso level of work. And so the same can be applied to human services work. So for you, you chose the human resource route. Yeah. And I think this it's so funny because when you're talking about human services work, like people can look at me and say, well, oh, my goodness, I don't see how you do that. But now I can look at you and say, oh, my goodness, I don't see how you do that. (laughs) No, really, no. Human human resources is not is not for the weak. Like human services in period is not for the weak, but human resources is not for the weak either. So what made you like when you decided, Okay, you know, I've raised my beautiful daughter. I've finally gotten, and when I say raised, trust me, she's not a teenager. She's not off at college anywhere. (laughs) But when you finally, (laughs) (laughs) yes, you do. (laughs) When she finally, when you finally got to a place that you were ready, because you weren't, you were one of those persons that, you know, you weren't ready right out of high school. Right. So, and it's nothing wrong with that. Like when you knew you were ready, when you were focused to go back to school and get your degree, human resources was that, that track for you. Why? (laughs) (laughs) I wish y'all could see her face. I have always loved the administration aspect of organizations, just being organized and trying and being the first person that people see when they come into an organization. So that has always been like, oh, I can see myself working in the administrative side. But when it comes to human resources, I have found out that I like to help or try to resolve problems. And so human resources is just that, like you're the middle person for the human capita and then for the organization. So you're trying to make sure that both Come on, parties- human capita. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> You're trying to find that <laughs> that middle ground that both parties can be happy and satisfied with whatever problems or issues that occur within an organization. So human resources is just that on top of other little things that are in the midst of it. <laughs> okay. So right now you're working for a nonprofit organization. Yes. So the nonprofit... We have um, employees that are client-facing, and so the clients that we help are those with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So some of the clients could be blind, they could be deaf, have the mental understanding of maybe a five- or six-year-old, but they look like adults. The employees that are client-facing are the ones that help them with their daily living. Some really just need that physical hands-on, like, You have to bathe them, brush their teeth, and then some of them are independent to where they can do some of their daily duties. It's just making sure that they're not going to harm themselves and just making sure that they understand that, you know, you have to brush your teeth, like explaining those simple things to them. And so you are handling the HR for the entire organization. And this is, is this a small organization? Is it a large organization? So without the admin employees, we have about 200 to 250 employees that are client-facing or they are therapists, they're nurses, things of that nature. So about two to 250 employees. Okay, so that's pretty big. And because I know 
your work history, that's got to be the biggest organization you've worked for. Because yes. so you and I have worked <laughs> at a couple organizations together and they've been pretty small organizations. The largest right. might have been about 40 people. So this is right. double in size, well, triple in size. So you were with Miss Betty kind of doing some of the volunteer stuff. Um, you've been kind of on the, I don't want to say bottom level, so ground level admin mm-hmm. kind of stuff to now be, you know, the HR specialist kind of frontline handling all of the, I don't like my manager. Right. You need to transfer me kind of stuff. So how has that been for you? Because mm-hmm. now you're in it. Like right. you're in the thick of it now. Yeah. It's challenging for the lack of better words. It's like adult daycare, just helping human capita manage their emotions and be able to voice how they feel. And then me being able to understand that without me allowing my emotions to affect how I feel about how they are presenting themselves towards me and then trying to help them resolve their issues. It's a lot at times. And a lot of our employees are from other countries, so they don't, they're not coming as, air quotes, respectable way for other cultures. It's just very direct, whether they sound like they're yelling, they're just brash. So it's a culture change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. understanding that. I mean, at first that was kind of hard because I, I wasn't used to working with a lot of people from other countries. So being able to understand that and not allow my emotions to affect how I feel and my daily duties was challenging at first, but I got the hang of it. (laughs) So one of the things that you have been privileged to do is be a stay-at-home mom for and be able to homeschool and to be able to fully ensure that Miss Demi Rose was well taken care of. So how was that transition for you, you know, kind of going back into the workforce and especially a workforce so and being a stay at home mom is demanding. I've never done it before, but I saw you doing it on a daily basis for eight years. Right. So... (laughs) How was that transition for you from going from the demands of being a stay-at-home mom and being teacher, doctor, after-school activity coordinator? Um, <laughs> short order chef. These, like, <laughs> like, short order cook. Sous chef. Goodness gracious. Actual no. executive chef. Executive chef of Brittany's Kitchen. Like, all, <laughs> <laughs> Like personal stylist, like all no, really. of these things at one time to now having to shift into such a demanding sometimes because the facility, the organization that you work with, some of the locations are 24 seven, seven days a week, 365. So we are similar in a sense that sometimes we're, we're sort of kind of always on because of the level of responsibilities we have. So right. how was that shift for you? If I, I think that if I would have went into college as soon as I got out of high school, I don't think that I would have gone the human resources route um, just because I don't think that I had the understanding of being able to adjust in such a demanding environment, coming from being a stay-at-home mom and having a little person basically tell you what you're going to do on a daily basis, it's very demanding. So I think that having that experience and then going into the office and using those skills have helped me a lot. Um, It's different taking orders from a little person to an adult, but (laughs) it's it's still the similar environment where one day I could just be organizing um, personnel files and making sure I-9s are up to date to I have to pack my stuff up and go to one of our other locations because there's a sexual harassment case that's going on and we have to investigate both parties to see what we can do and how we can mitigate this and being ethical and legal in that situation. So yeah, I, I learned a lot. Being a stay-at-home mom and understanding that at the drop of a dime, anything can happen. And being in an organization that is basically 24 hours is, I don't really have my phone on silent. 
my work phone, it will go on do not disturb after a certain point, but my director has my personal number. So if there is something that is pertinent or an emergency, she will call me on my personal phone. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I have the clock in. <laughs> right. So do you miss being a stay at home mom at all? I do. For maybe about two or three months, I had tremendous amounts of mom guilt because okay. before I was pregnant with Demi, I was like, oh, I'm going to be one of these working moms. I can handle it. I don't even see why people say it's so hard. But being able to stay at home for so long and take care of my little person and to try to make her such an amazing person for society was amazing. Um, And so- Right. When I made the decision to go back to school and then I'm like, oh, okay, three and a half, four years. Oh, that's that's going to take forever. And I feel like it literally happened in a blink of an it eye. It went by and so then, quick. Yeah, it's crazy. Like the day that I told you I was going to go back to school and I was crying. Yeah, I I feel like that happened yesterday. We'll talk about that later. I mean, um, it does but... feel like it was just yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> no, literally does. Like, no, it really feels like yesterday. And so being going back into the workforce, like Demi and I cried like for the like the whole entire week before I started working because it felt like we were like breaking up. <laughs> like it was gonna be an adjustment for both right. of you. Right. We weren't gonna be at home together all day and being able to see each other all day. So it was a lot at first, but we got the hang of it. Do Are you still experiencing? Because I think people underscore how serious mom guilt is. And yes. I think that you experience mom guilt, even if you're not a stay-at-home mom. Like, mom guilt is so real. Um, even though, you know, I was not a stay-at-home mom. And I was in college and working, sometimes working more than one job at a time. I mean, just to make, you know, to make sure that Juwan and I had, like, I still felt guilty because there Mm -hmm. was still so much that I missed out on Mm -hmm. or that there was still so much that sometimes Juwan wasn't able to do because I had to work. And even though he's an amazing, about the, He's an amazing man. (laughs) A man. (laughs) He's a man. I can't even say he's a. You know what I'm saying? I can't even say he's a young man. Like he's a grown man. man. Yeah. Like he's almost (laughs) thirty. I know, right? (laughs) Oh. Like he'll be 27 this year. Like, just like how you and I were talking the other day and what, yeah, what was it yesterday? And I yesterday. had to bring to your attention, like literally she has one more year elementary school and she's going to junior high school. On a Friday. And That's how she's going <laughs> on, a Friday. on a Friday. Like it would have mattered. <laughs> like it I, right? I could have said it on a Wednesday and it's still going to be like, what the hell? No, my mom was um, wrong. Like, I didn't even think Like he's like getting that. ready to be like. He'll be 30 soon. That's crazy. And it's like, like, do you remember that time we went to the museum? Like he was, he was chunky. His little fat chubby face. Okay. (laughs) And like now he's a grown man, like playing for brunch for a table full of people. Right. And every time he see Demi, he's like, what's your Greg's looking like? Dropping $46,000. Well, my grades were good when I was in school. Hello. I, I still got report cards. I'm Me done, too. What's up? I could pull, pull up My a transcript quick. <laughs> I could pull up a transcript quick and I'm your mama. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, hold on, sir. Wait a minute. <laughs> so what was there something that happened in your life? Because, you know, I don't think just, you know, not everybody comes out of high school and says, you know what? Okay, let's go to college. And I think it needs to be normalized that that's okay. Because Mm -hmm. one, college is expensive. College is expensive. Mm. And you can't be playing around with student loan money. You can't be playing around with your parents' money. And if you are someone that's on your own and you don't have the financial means, you can't play around with your money. Right. So... I think we need to normalize that just because someone is not ready to go to college right after high school, like it's nothing wrong with that. Right. I am a big proponent of higher education. You know, right now I'm encouraging you to take it a step further. (laughs) 
But. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What brought you to that place? And why was that? Because I remember the fear. Like, why was there so much fear? Um, well, growing up, I always loved certain subjects in school and I was always kind of horrible in other subjects. So English class, science class, I loved it. But math, please, you cannot pay me to do anything with math. So having that fear of just failing and then having certain family members just continuously nonstop putting you down and putting these negative thoughts in your head to have you doubt yourself. I didn't think that it stuck with me so much until I would entertain the idea of going back to school. So when I graduated high school, I had moved to California with my grandparents and I tried to go to school. I tried to go to college, went to a community college, Chabot Community College in Hayward, California. But I was like, I can't do this. I I don't have the intention span. I just don't want to do this right now. So I just chose to start working and I just bounced around into different retail sectors. So I worked at like Joann's and check cashing, um, check cashing place. And then I slowly started to get into back again into the nonprofit. So that's where you and I met when I was an administrative assistant that turned into an office manager. So I, I tried, but once I did it right after high school, I was like, mm, this isn't for me. Like, I'm fine. Like, I can live my life without going to school. But then watching you being so successful at being a professional, being a mom, and then continue on with your education, it was like, I mean, if she can do it, who can't? Like, hello. So, and then having my daughter and me trying to, well, educating her early at home, I felt like, if I'm teaching her the importance of education, then I should be able to take my own advice. And so still having those negative thoughts in my head would cry almost every other day in in class, like just self-doubt nonstop. And then at some point, it just started to fade away. They were still there, but it just wasn't as loud anymore. And so I was like, okay, well, I can do this. Like I can do this. My village is supporting me. Um, you were going to school, Brooke was in school, about to finish school. So I was like, okay, I cannot be the only woman in this family that does not have her degree. Hello. So (laughs) I had to do it. (laughs) I had to. (laughs) Do you regret any of it? I wish that I wouldn't have let those negative thoughts and self-doubts affect me so much because obviously I accomplished way more than I thought I could. And I, I'm way smarter than <laughs> what I thought I was. So that's the only part that I guess I regret. But going to school, no, no, not at all. Now that you are, you've begun to immerse yourself in human resources. And especially when it comes to the human services side of human resources, are there any trends in human resources and social work that pertain to HR that professionals need to be prepared for as, especially as college students, you know, we're getting ready to see, you know, it's already March. So we're getting ready to prepare for a whole new set of graduates to come out and, you know, about to start looking for jobs and all this kind of stuff. So are there any HR trends that professionals need to be on the lookout for? So I have four. So perfecting the hybrid working lifestyle, people analytics, talent shortages, employment visibility and engagement. So the hybrid aspect, I mean, when COVID happened, everybody was basic, a lot of people were forced to work at home. And so now a lot of organizations and businesses are saying, hey, we need you guys back in the office. And us as employees are like, well, hold on. I was doing so well at home, whether it was two days in the office, three days at home or whatever, I was doing so well at home and I still was producing amazing work. Why do I have to come back in the office five times a week? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. So there are organizations like Ford, Microsoft, and Amazon that have perfected permanent hybrid working models. So I know for nonprofits, that may be a bit challenging because obviously, depending on the nonprofit that you have, if you're client-facing people, Mm -hmm. yeah, that probably won't be doable for everyone. 
but wiggling in some type of hybrid model will get people to come in and then get people to stay in because a lot of people are paying attention to their work-life balances. And for the young people that are coming in, especially younger generations, their work-life balance is serious. Yeah, Gen Z's don't play. Like, I'm going to have my downtime. Hmm. I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to travel the world. Hmm. Um, By the way, I know I'm about to start work, but I already had planned on going to Europe for, for six about months. three weeks. So I'm <laughs> Not for six months. Hey. <laughs> Like literally, like okay. So then, why are you start? Did you want to come back? Like, right, you come back. We can start. So, so yeah, no, yeah. it's crazy. So like talent shortages. So COVID, the Gen Zers are like, mm, I'm living my best life, baby. You're gonna have to get your model, your work model around me. The Great Resignation. We have older generations that are retiring, and so we're losing great employees in that aspect. And then burnout, which is your favorite category of life, um, where people are just so tired because they don't understand or know how to find that balance between work life and then like personal life. Yeah, at home. And then Mm -hmm. with people that are working from home, they don't know how to work during office hours and then have their personal time afterwards they like to try to weave Mm -hmm. it in between and that's not a good balance and then quiet quitting those are some of the most popular things when it comes to um, what's quiet quitting where you could be an amazing employee and whether you just don't like the organization anymore or there's microaggressions that are going on Or you went for a job within the organization and they didn't give it to you. So you're just like, oh, F it. So you're still producing a certain amount of work, but Mm -hmm. you're looking for other jobs. And when you find that job, you may not even say anything. You're just going to disappear like Casper and call it a day. And so then you leave the organization high and dry. It's like, well, dang, I didn't even know this person was leaving. Like, you, you So you don't no even notice. give the two-week notice? So no, you, just, you may give oh, a day, okay. like very, very short notice. So, okay. yeah, that sucks. Especially from an HR perspective, that right. really sucks because then it causes your retention rate to be high. And that's I mean, costly. not just from an HR perspective. I mean, speaking right. from an executive director, that's a nightmare. <laughs> because <laughs> then you have to bring somebody in and I train mean, them from the ground up. They, Exactly. But then, you know, if you consistently see that, I mean, retention is, I can imagine retention is a nightmare on the HR side, but retention is just a nightmare on an executive side because, you know, as an executive director, you're always, well, I can't speak for all executive directors. I'm speaking from this executive director. One of the I always try to (laughs) ensure. (laughs) thank you best friend I always try to make sure I am doing what is necessary to take care of my people because at the end of the end of the day and I say this all the time and I'm sure I've said this on a number of episodes at this point you are employing people who work with people and if your people aren't being taken care of they aren't going to be around to do the work of people that are working with people I know that was a lot of peoples but people you get it (laughs) so people you (laughs) you heard that good (laughs) right (laughs) people have got to be good to their people right because if not retention will happen now I do understand that sometimes people just need more money And sometimes, regardless of how good you treat your people, sometimes you might not have the financial capacity to give someone what they financially need and they might have to go someplace else. But if you are treating your people good and if you are taking care of your people and if you are ensuring that you are not creating a culture that induces burnout, then... The chances of your retention being really high, you know, people consistently quitting or this quiet quitting, Mm -hmm. that sucks. Right. That just puts organizations, you know, HR, executive directors, I mean, it really puts them between rocks and hard places, especially Mm -hmm. when you are running certain types of organizations, like, for instance, the organization where I provide leadership to, you know, we have a safe house. If I am right. waiting for my third shift person to come, which the third shift starts at 1130 at night. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, this person just quiet. What? what? <laughs> I have to go home. And you're telling no, me this really. person quit? Mm-hmm. Like that is, that's problematic. Right. 
I just had a situation that is so like problematic. on Friday where we have a client that just got out of the hospital and there's, so there's three clients in one of the homes that we have and our client facing employees don't want to help her because she needs, she needs more hands-on assistance and they don't want to help mm-hmm. her. And so this has happened. But isn't that times. what you're supposed to, that's within their that job the level duty. of services. Okay. Yes. That's okay. within their job duty. And it's not like, you get to pick and choose the client that you're given. You may train with the client, a certain client, but then you may be given a certain client based on the organization's needs and the client's needs. And so they don't want to work with this client. And so I suggested to the deputy director, hey, if this is, if you've already gave them a verbal warning and they are threatening you to resign, then okay, we can allow them to resign. We can get some temps to come in to help us until we can hire people that will do that shift because at the end of the day, we are here to serve our clients. So if you don't want to do your part as an employee with our organization, then I mean, there's nothing else that we can do for you. And then what does it mean for the client who needs the service? Right. Like, come on. Then that drains another employee because they may be on the day shift and then we may have to call them in every couple days to come and help this client because we don't, when COVID happened, the manpower. Yeah, like mm-hmm. a lot of people quit, or a lot of people just left and quiet quit it, and then just never came back. Once we kind of opened back up after COVID, so mm-hmm. yeah, and see, and that's that was one of the you know, I, I say this all the time, and I know sometimes on this podcast I might say I'm like a broken record because I am so passionate about some of this stuff when it comes to human service professionals like COVID did a number on the human service and the social work field. And this again is not to underscore doctors because doctors were faced and nurses and home health aides and all of these people in the medical field. Like I can't imagine what they were faced with during COVID. Right. Cause we I mean, didn't know I, what was going I, on. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I had just moved to North Carolina, like moved right. to North Carolina in December, 2019 and literally March, 2009, 2020, everything was being shut down Done. and all you were seeing all across the United States. And even, you know, you were seeing also in China and other countries, like just people just dying right. and doctors like, in full book body right. suits, like and I can't imagine. break down because they're so right. tired so and mentally drained. I cannot imagine. And then at the same time, happening at the same time, all the s- racial injustice right. that was just compounded on top. But what still bugs me to this day is that nonprofit organizations, social service organizations human service professionals and social workers like literally we were left out there to dry with like in a boat with no paddle nothing we were like you know um, castaway tom hanks and castaway literally with we the had <laughs> what was his name wilson? wilson wilson we had wilson we had to ask wilson everything yep. and whatever wilson <laughs> said that's we what we did fly. but guess what Wilson ain't talk. <laughs> Wilson was just there cheesing like, hey. So we just <laughs> we just had to figure it out on our own. Yep. And we had to figure it out on our own and hope and pray we were doing the best thing for our staff and doing the best thing for our clients. Because for us, it was where our funders were state and federal government. Mm-hmm. Well, all of them was at home. Right. Everybody was at home. So wasn't nobody telling us what to do. So Mm -hmm. we were, okay, let's go buy all the hand sanitizer. Let's go buy all the toilet paper. Let's go buy all the paper towels. (laughs) Right. Let's go buy up everything. Let's make sure our clients that are in our safe house, let's make sure that they are good. But it's like, okay, that's fine. But how do we keep folks? We can't make them stay in. Right. We can't tell adults they can't go anywhere. Right. I mean, it was such, like, we still had to show up. Mm -hmm. And so I will never underscore what doctors and nurses and shoot funeral homes for that matter. Like I will never underscore what all of these people had to go through, but they weren't the only people that were essential and they had to continue to show up every single day. They had to continue to go 
to work and serve people, not knowing at the time what, because at the time they made it seem like if you got it, you were going to die. Literally. So not knowing what was going to happen. So like, give us our flowers. Please. Because we still showed up. Mm-hmm. And we still had to provide services for clients. We still had to go in front of judges and get orders of protection. And we still had to help women and children and men flee their abusers. Like that stuff still happened even in March 2020 when everybody else was buying up all the toilet paper and the bread off the shelves. <laughs> no, and really. When everybody was Netflix and chilling at home. Human service professionals were not next Netflix right. and chilling at home. We were at work and we were showing up for our clients terrified because that's what this work does. Yeah. You love this work enough to show up because you know there is something so much greater than yourself. Yep. So one of the one of the trends that you say was this remote work flexibility. Yes. Um I think it's a good idea. And I I do think that regardless of your organization's work, I think it can happen. I think the size of your organization is what matters. Yes. Because if you have enough people, like, and I use us for an example, like we have enough people that we finally decided like, hey, we're going to break down into teams, a A A team and a B team. We're going to decrease the number of folks in the building to kind of function like this social distancing kind of way. But, and to decrease the number of people in the building. So there won't be a whole bunch of people in the building. We're going to meet with clients in a bigger room so we can be spread out. Right. Um, we swapped out all cloth furniture with uh, vinyl furniture so we can wipe it down. And so we, we kept, but it was the manpower. So we, I think if organizations have enough trained staff that, they can divide their teams, mm-hmm. divide their staff into teams that remote work is absolutely possible. I don't know if I, this might sound mean, y'all don't come for me, <laughs> but I don't know if I 100% agree with nonprofit organizations. And maybe this this could work in corporate worlds. Right. But I don't know if I agree with nonprofit organizations being... Y'all don't come for me. No, I agree too. But I just don't. Because I don't understand how you can do that. You're helping clients. You're helping people. Yeah. You have to be in front of people. We are (laughs) front-facing, feelings, heart-centered. Well, you should be anyway. Right. Heart-centered, front-facing type of work. So, but I do believe that you can divide your, if you have enough manpower, that you can divide your folks into several teams so you can decrease the number of people in the office. And so sometimes this decreasing the number of people in the office, it, it might not just have anything to do with COVID, but it might decrease your chances of your folks suffering with burnout or, right. you know, resource depletion or vicarious trauma, like in helping folks take care of themselves better. Like, I don't have to commute every day. And Ugh. shoot, with the price of eggs right now, you mm. know, and the price of everything <laughs> right now, like, you know, right. luckily gas is not what gas was some months ago. But because hmm. we even made some changes with that when gas was the way it was, we had we functioned back on that team model when mm-hmm. gas prices were so high because, you know, I'm in North Carolina now. Ain't no public transportation where I'm at. You right. have to drive in order to get to work. So right. when gas prices were and crazy, we went back yeah, we went back to the same model that we were working when COVID numbers were really high because gas like $5 for what? What? <laughs> Baby, Ma'am, I'm gonna get $5 for I... a snack and stay at home. What? Not $5 for a snack. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the gas station. Like, get a it snack. was just. So I think that remote work could, remote work policy could work, but mm-hmm. I just can't see human service organizations um, being totally remote because it, to me, it takes away with the connection and building the trust right. um, between clients and the professionals. Right. I think the only way that will work is 
it's going to kind of suck, but the admin aspect of it or like the C-suite mm-hmm. people, like them have remote, remote days, but the ones that the, the employees that are always client facing, that's going to rarely happen. But I think that there are other incentives that could be offered outside of remote days that could satisfy that, like mental health days or offering an extra day or two, a vacation day or like a pay day off. Like if it's a raffle or something like that, like pick a couple names out of a bucket and say, okay, these three people will have paid days off this week just to provide some level of incentive because you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. They would not be able to do remote work because how can you help a client that is deaf or that can't that can't see that that is blind and you're talking to them on zoom like that's not going to help them you can't give someone a bath on zoom (laughs) you can't brush their teeth on zoom so right no that could never happen right so best friend one of the things that people keep reaching out to me about is this picture obama you got in your living Baby, that was a time, okay? That will forever. I've met two people that are famous in my life, Barack Obama and Usher Raymond, okay? Both of Usher Raymond, I met him when I was in elementary school when Sam's Goody record store, CD store was open. That's Sam Goody. Oh, you aging yourself for real. Hmm, I'm a true millennial, okay? The original millennial, okay? That's what I am. An original millennial. <laughs> you make it seem like you're the very first one. No, no, not the first one. I'm just saying. Like, it's just, no, it's a, it's mind-blowing that my brothers are millennials. So I don't think of them as millennials because even though we're kind of close in age, I don't look at them as we're in the same generation. It's weird. So that's why I say original, <laughs> original millennial. But Barack Obama. Like, people, people, I always get messages <laughs> or, like, comments about this that story and i always tell people no it's a it's a very true story it is like it is not a made-up story it is a very true story it was primary tuesday in washington (laughs) dc we were all working at 801 pennsylvania avenue yes and our offices were on the top when the dunkin donuts was on the corner now it's further down when it was on the corner oh is it yes it's further down it's more like by sweet lobby and there was a junior high school like right across the street is Mm-hmm. Where the Trader Joe's and the Sephora is. Yep. I remember coming up that morning and it was so quiet. I mean, it, it was. was unusually quiet. Because normally Cause the cars are just quiet. by and you, you got to wait forever as a pedestrian across. Yeah. It's like four blocks from the Capitol. So mm-hmm. it's always super, super busy because folks are going to the Capitol and then Library of Congress is right across the street right. from the Capitol. So everybody is always going in that direction because mm-hmm. they're going to work. Like that's Pennsylvania Avenue. So right. you take Pennsylvania Avenue every Everybody that works for the federal government, if you Pennsylvania. if you're coming from Maryland, <laughs> you take either 95 or, or you take Pennsylvania Avenue or, or 295 yeah. or Pennsylvania Avenue to get to downtown DC. And so, but that day it was super. It was super scary. Quiet. Yeah, it was scary. Quiet. Was, like when I got off the train, I thought something happened. Right. It was almost as quiet. It was quiet like it was. Right after 9-11. Like the day after 9-11. It was quiet like that. Mm -hmm. Like you could look around and there was nobody on the street. It was just super, super quiet. Yeah. And I remember. But you saw men in suits on the corners. I didn't even see anybody in suits yet. (laughs) And I I had gotten in the office and nobody was in the office yet. Right. So I was the first one in the office and then everybody started trickling in or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I remember Susan coming up and saying (laughs) that I think something's getting ready to happen. I think the president is getting ready to come through. And so all of us that were in we the office. We got our coats and it was cold as I don't know what that day, okay? It was. It was <laughs> November 4th was in D.C. <laughs> yes. We went downstairs and I swear, as soon as we got out the doors, people had already started crowding because he was already outside. Yep, him and Mayor Fenty at the Adrian time. Fenty. Yep, Adrian Fenty, who was the mayor at the time, and he was going to the Dunkin' Donuts to buy donuts for the uh, people who were working the polls at the high school. Mm -hmm. And Brittany, (laughs) 
<laughs> random. When I tell you, when I tell you, random. Brittany had a disposable camera. <laughs> a disposable camera in my purse that I did not use the night before. Okay. It was like all of a sudden, all these people were outside, and Brittany pulled out this disposable camera, and all you heard was like, crack, crack, crack. She was winding, <laughs> she was winding it up. <laughs> Hey, but without that disposable camera, baby, we would not have history, okay? And his hands smell good. He shook our hands and like, we were just like, we're not washing our hands. Like, I don't know what lotion that man had on that day. Michelle Obama, please. Okay, don't come for us. But your husband's whatever lotion that was. I don't think she listens. If she did listen, that would be awesome. But I don't think she listens. (laughs) I'm going to tag her. I'm just going to keep tagging her. (laughs) Just tag her, tag her, tag her. But I remember after that was done, like we just all sat in staff meeting, do anything just like that day, stuck, Nothing. like just yeah. couldn't believe it. it and uh, <laughs> yeah, and so a couple months later, Brittany got her place and she put it in a frame and it's sitting up there. <laughs> and to this day, every place she moves into, it's up there with family yep. pictures. <laughs> it is, and it's sitting right. It's sitting right in the middle of my bookcase. Um, below my TV. So when new people decide to come, when they come over here, they're like, "Who is that?" Um, you don't know who that is. That was Barack Obama <laughs> before he came president. And, uh, the like, bad part on. about it is that we're sorry, President Barack Obama, because <laughs> it's really not a nice. It's not a flattering picture of you. <laughs> Hey, it's not because he was so he's tall, so I was like angling it up, but I didn't think like it was gonna look like from a lower angle, basically almost looking up this man's nose. However, it's still there. It's yes, still it there. is. And it's on the bookshelf yeah. with all the books. Like it's a family photo. I'll take a picture and put it on social media so you guys can see it. Oh, please do. Oh, that would be on the day. Just to show this- proof. <laughs> yep on the on the day this episode drops yes ma'am yes ma'am receipts, receipts. right and i'll drop that usher raymond photo also oh just my in case God. y'all don't remember Re- you know receipts <laughs> receipts real life receipts baby <laughs> i can't oh best friend this has been so good yeah. uh, <laughs> so do you want folks to follow you on social media? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, I don't have a professional um, page. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, but um, I don't have a professional per se, like IG or Snapchat or anything. So where are you on? How can folks follow you on LinkedIn? Because according to Amanda, our Amanda, mm-hmm. she says that LinkedIn is the way to go. So since oh. LinkedIn is the way, I know, right? Excuse me. <laughs> Um, Fancy, right? <laughs> so how can um, folks follow you on LinkedIn? My name is spelled B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y, please. Last name is Young, middle initials D. So you can find me at Brittany D. Young on LinkedIn. It's an amazing selfie of me, Tutu also. So yeah, you can follow me there. At some point, I will create some type of professional social media once I get, you know, the passionate stewardship podcast social media just just amazing. So at some point, I would start mine also. But um, until then, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah. <laughs> well, this has been so much fun, and lucky for all of you, Brittany will be here all month long. So you oh, can <laughs> you can tune in all month long for these shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> the good shenanigans. <laughs> good shenanigans so you can tune in all month long so thank you so much best friend for joining me today and for being so open to this and see it wasn't weird it wasn't weird right no it wasn't (laughs) once you got the hang of it it wasn't everybody says it's in the beginning i'm so nervous it's so weird so i'm like trust me because you don't know what you're gonna ask from somebody who recorded her very first episode probably 10 times before she sent it to Sarah (laughs) baby right (laughs) I get it (laughs) but thank you so much for joining me today I love you so much I love you too every episode this month the passionate stewardship podcast will highlight and celebrate exceptional women who have paved the way and elevated women giving new meaning to the saying I am woman so this week's exceptional woman 
is our forever first lady, Michelle Obama, a lawyer and writer. She was the first African-American first lady of the United States and became a role model, not just for black and African-American women and girls, but for many women and girls, varying races and ethnicities. While in the White House, she advocated for four main initiatives, healthy families, service members and their families, higher education and international adolescent girls education. Mrs. Obama earned her bachelor's degree from Princeton University and a Juris Doctorate from Harvard Law School. After graduation, she returned to Chicago to join the firm Sidley Austin and later turned her energies to public service, where she was Assistant Commissioner of Planning and Development in Chicago City Hall before becoming the founding executive director of the Chicago Chapter of Public Allies, an AmeriCorps program that prepared young people for public service service. She joined the University of Chicago as an Associate Dean of Student Services, where she developed the university's first community service program and went to work for the University of Chicago Medical Center. She became the Vice President of Community and External Affairs. During her time at the White House, she initiated the Let's Move Movement, a program aiming to end childhood obesity within a generation. Through this initiative, elected officials, business leaders, educators, parents, and faith leaders work together to provide more nutritious food in schools, to bring healthy and affordable food into underserved communities, plant vegetable gardens across America, and provide new opportunities for kids to be more active. Each year, local school children help plant and harvest the garden she started at the White House South Lawn. And its vegetables and fruits were served at the White House and donated to soup kitchens and area food banks. During her second term as First Lady, she spearheaded the Reach Higher initiative to help students understand job opportunities and the education and skills they needed for those jobs. She encouraged young people to continue their education past high school and in technical schools and community colleges as well. She championed the education of girls and women, and in a commencement address, she told graduates, never view your challenges as obstacles. It is a lesson that she has embodied all of her life. Throughout her time in the White House, Mrs. Obama worked to support veterans and military families. She also focused her energies on her most important role, mom-in-chief to her daughters, who grew into accomplished young women during their eight years in the White House. Today and every day, the Passionate Stewardship honors our forever First Lady, Mrs. Michelle Obama, for showing us grace under pressure, beauty, and respectability in all facets of self. I want to thank my best friend and also co-host for the month of March for joining me today. And remember, self-care is health care and kindness is free. So do me a favor. Be kind to somebody today. Go and like this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I love you for listening. And until next time, be good to someone and to yourself. Bye. Bye.